The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. My little brother's friends have been camped out at our place for two days straight. Three. It's because of the Xfinity 10G network. Internet that can handle a house full of screens at once with, like, basically no interruptions. And it's only getting faster. When I was their age, internet like this was a pipe dream. You sound like my grandpa. Please go home. Introducing the next generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 492nd episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we have another one of our haunted cemeteries. This is number 26. We love these episodes. We sure do. And it's amazing. 26 of them. I know. And on this one, we're going to be featuring six cemeteries. Looking forward to it. Before we get into that, we want to welcome into the spooktacular crew, Donna Billy, who spells her name with an I-E at the end, Alexa, and Tim. Thank you so much for joining our Facebook group. And now this moment, Noddy. The moment in Oddity was suggested by Jared Ray. Whom of us have not heard the pro-dairy slogan of Got Milk or Milk, It Does a Body Good? Would you believe that it was strictly related to a modern marketing strategy that was caused by a milk surplus that dates back as far as World War I? That was the incident that began America's century-long milk surplus. 
During the First World War, the U.S. government started sending dairy products consisting mostly of canned and powdered milk to soldiers overseas. This prompted the dairy farmers to ramp up their production. When the war ended, the surplus milk production did not, which created extremely low milk prices. This prompted dairy farmers to stage strikes and unionize during the 1930s. Once World War II started, milk's demand again rose, albeit slightly. Along with the usual milk staples, the government actually created a floating barge that created ice cream for sailors and marines. The concrete barge was towed around the Pacific, distributing ice cream to ships incapable of making their own. It held more than 2,000 gallons of ice cream and churned out 10 gallons every seven minutes. Talk about a morale booster. Although the dairy demand had increased during World War II, there was still a surplus. In response to this, the government created federal programs to artificially drive up the demand for milk. The first program was the 1940 Federal Milk Program for Schools, following with President Truman passing the National School Lunch Act, which mandated that each lunch provided needed to include milk. Despite those government-funded campaigns, there was still a surplus, which then began the production of government cheese, of which some of us are familiar. Today, there is the Dairy Checkoff Program, with some participants being Pizza Hut's Stuffed Crust Pizza, and Taco Bell's Quesalupa and the Quesarito that came after. Domino's Pizzas now have 40% more cheese than days of old, and Starbucks is more heavy-handed with their milk-to-coffee ratio. Until now, I had no idea that those milk-based TV commercials had such a historical half-and-half -half scoop behind them. But one thing I do know is that they certainly are odd. This history podcast is haunted. And now, this month in history. month of June on the 27th in 1859, American musician Mildred J. Hill was born. She learned music from her father and Adolf Weidig, an American composer. If you've ever sung the happy birthday song to someone, you have paid homage to Mildred and her sister Patty. Mildred wrote the music for this well-known ditty, and it is said that Patty wrote the lyrics. Originally, the song was written as Good Morning to All, a greeting song from teachers to their kindergarten students. In 1893, the song was published in Song Stories for the Kindergarten. Mildred and Patty were leaders in the national kindergarten movement, promoting the importance of, quote, purposeful play, creativity, and social responsibility, as they were taught by their parents. Happy Birthday to You first appeared in print in 1912, and its popularity continued to grow through the 1930s. Mildred J. Hill died on June 5, 1916, and is buried at Cave Hill Cemetery in Arboretum in Louisville, Kentucky. She and her sister Patty were posthumously inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame on June 12, 1996. Took them long enough. Certainly did. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, Happy Birthday to You is one of the three most popular songs in the English language. And Kelly, a little fun fact. What is that? <laughs> we're recording this the day before <laughs> that's going to be sung to you because tomorrow, June 16th, is your birthday and you're going to be the big 5-0. 
Yes, I am. How does, <laughs> but age is but a number, right? How does it feel to be old? You're always going to be older than me, doll. I know. And I always say that age is but a number, except for when you're trying to get out of bed in the morning. Then you feel it. That is true. <laughs> Happy birthday, Kelly. Thank you, baby. There really is no place quite as peaceful as a graveyard. The dead generally don't talk. Introverts don't have to pretend to read a book to remain undisturbed. Extroverts can take comfort in the fact that they are surrounded by a captive audience. Everyone can take solace in the idea that when they are gone, they will have a spot to keep their memory alive. Perhaps this is why so many of these cemeteries seem to be haunted. A spirit just wants to be near their memorial. Join us as we feature haunted cemeteries from England, Arkansas, Minnesota, Vermont, Florida, and Illinois. Let's start by jumping across the pond over to England. This first one is called All Saints Churchyard in Patcham. All Saints Church stands on a hill above the village of Patcham and was built in the 12th century in an early English and decorated style. I'd never heard of that style before. Yeah, you saw me flip my head like, what? What? Say what? (laughs) Decorated style. I'll try to describe this for people. Many British churches and cathedrals were built in this decorated style. And it's most visible in the elaborate tracery that you'll see on windows and such. So it's it's hard for me to describe. But anything that looks like this, these markings that are on the outside of windows and stuff like so that. So it's a design element that surrounds yes. the window panes themselves. Exactly. And okay. I mean, it makes sense. It says decorated style. So it's if it looks really elaborate and like it didn't need to be put in that way, it's probably the decorated style. It's kind of like gingerbreading, I would say. Only usually you'll see it more on windows and things. Gotcha. The oldest part of the church is the nave with the chancel and tower topped by a turret spire. The outside is cement with interior walls of flint with stone dressings. There's a gothic arch over the south porch that was built in the 14th century. So I think you're getting a feel. This is a really old church. The church has been restored many times through the centuries and has room for about 350 people. There are several memorials inside, one of which is for the Shelley family, early owners in Patcham. Only part of the memorial still exists and features pilasters on each side, the Shelley coat of arms, and um, is Mort around? Um, I think I just saw him duck behind that post over there. I don't want to give him any ideas, but there's also naked grave diggers on here. You should have whispered that because I certainly do not need to be seen <laughs> Mort. We don't want Mort streaking in the cemetery. But that's a great way to work on my tan. Mort, we like you just the way you are. That pale pallor is just everything. We're not sure when the churchyard was established, but it is very organized. One side was left to the criminals and those who committed suicide, so I guess maybe that ground's not as consecrated as the rest of it. There are seven chest tombs from centuries ago for the Scrace family. There are 16 Commonwealth War Graves memorializing two British Army soldiers from World War I, eight Royal Air Force personnel, and five soldiers and a WREN of World War II. There are some strange things that happen here, and most of them are connected to the churchyard, connected to the church. Two of the spirits belong to Sir Charles Thomas Stanford and Lady Ellen Stanford. 
Lady Ellen appears as a tall, thin lady dressed in gray. She enters a church and sits in a pew on occasion, especially when it's cold outside. Lends to your question whenever we're investigating, can you feel the temperature around you? (laughs) Apparently, they can. She came in to get out of the cold. So yes, apparently this spirit gets chilly. She showed up on one particular Christmas Eve night for Midnight Mass in the 1970s and was described as looking pale and sickly. And when a couple of people approached her to ask if she was okay, she disappeared into thin air. One of the earliest recorded experiences happened in 1956. Two boys were hanging out in the churchyard specifically looking for ghosts. My kind of kids. Well, they got their wish when they saw a dark hooded figure. Other reports claim to see an apparition emerging from the south side of the building that disappears into the churchyard. A person walking by the churchyard once saw two women in medieval clothing pass through the tombs on the west side of the churchyard. Next, we have Liberty Baptist Church and Cemetery. The city of Batesville in Arkansas is the county seat of Independence County and is the oldest city in the state. It's named for the first territorial delegate from Arkansas to the Congress of the United States, James Woodson Bates, who had settled here. The White River was right there, and so Batesville became an important port after it was settled in 1810. There were few homes at first, but those early pioneers built a ferry. The town took more shape in 1821, and a post office was established in 1822. A circuit court followed. We're not sure when the Liberty Baptist Church was founded, but the cemetery connected to it has burials that date back to 1855 and continued through the 1990s. This is fairly large for a churchyard, and the land was donated by Jordan Haddock. It's not surprising that the church and cemetery are said to be haunted because the area in and around the city had extensive quarries of limestone and marble. The most reported spirit is the ghost of an old woman that can be seen sitting in a rocking chair upstairs through the window of the church. This usually happens in the summer. The lights in the church turn themselves on and off. There's a gravel road that leads up to the church, and the town folk claim a young woman was killed and dumped on this road in the early 1900s. The cemetery features strange lights, and visitors have seen the spirit of a little boy wandering around the cemetery. He has been captured in several photos. These are experiences that people have shared after visiting the cemetery. My brother and I went to this location with an EVP reader. We talked to the spirits there for over an hour. When we arrived, my stomach dropped. I felt extremely uneasy the whole time. We asked if we should leave, and the EVP reader said immediately after, Dash, so we closed out the session and said goodbye and finally left. On the way up to the church, me and my friends had a bad feeling, and as I was investigating solo, my spirit box began screaming at me, and it was deep as if something from hell had manifested before, along with a figure out in the cemetery. So I don't know if they're saying that they saw a figure out in the cemetery or what. I have pictures that I've taken of this place. There's a woman in the window upstairs and several pictures. I have pictures of the window. The shades are completely closed and pictures from the same night where it looks like someone has pulled the shade partially open and you can see the image of a transparent woman looking out. And of course, window pictures, I always am hesitant to believe those. The lights on the front of the church went out and came back on when we asked if they wanted us to leave. That's pretty interesting. This happened two times when we asked again just to make sure it wasn't a coincidence. Really nothing going on with the cemetery. We've gone three times and got pictures from the church. So it sounds like the church might be a little bit more haunted than the actual cemetery. And now we have the Lakeview Cemetery. Lakeview Cemetery is located in Buell, Minnesota, and was established in 1913. Burials continue there today. 
Right next to the official cemetery is a potter's field where patients from the Shaw Hospital were buried. The Shaw Hospital housed people sick with tuberculosis and the mentally ill. The hospital was open until at least 1936 and then became a nursing home, and by 2003, it was vacant. The city of Buell bought the property in 2012. The people buried at the cemetery from the hospital and nursing home were buried under cast iron crosses with just a number on them. The strangest place in the cemetery has been dubbed the Sanctuary. This is the Veterans Memorial with a white picket fence. It consists of a large crucifixion statue with 50 white wooden crosses and a concrete box with a veteran's medallion on it. What makes it weird is not the activity that takes place within it, but rather the lack of paranormal activity. Feelings of dread evaporate and it is very peaceful, which is in stark contrast to all the activity going on in the rest of the cemetery. The cemetery is said to be a paranormal hotspot. People claim to see apparitions that range from a white misty figure that runs near the cemetery road to a man dressed in 1920s era clothing walking among the gravestones. It is thought that he was a cemetery gatekeeper. Disembodied footsteps are heard as are disembodied voices. Flashes of light and gray mists appear and there are strange smells. This place hits all the senses. Brian Leffler of Northern Minnesota Paranormal Investigators wrote on Occult World in 2017, An investigation in June of 2003 resulted in a very strange video. I was filming in infrared and asking questions. I said, If there are any spirits here, show me a sign. I started filming and a single flag began to wave, though there was no wind. I panned the camera around and found many other flags sitting perfectly still, including the large flags on their poles sitting 25 feet in the air. This anomaly was confirmed when I listened to the audio from my microcassette tape and found I'd captured some EVP. I discovered that immediately after I'd asked for a sign, two different ghosts had a conversation. The first ghost said, there's no harm in that, followed by the second ghost replying, yeah, show them the flags, Roy. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. (laughs) And you know what I really love? This is back in 2003. We didn't have all the fancy equipment back then, and he's using a little microcassette recorder to get this stuff which I actually think probably works better. It's like taking a real recorder out there and getting it on the tape. Another trip to Lakeview in June of 2003 handed me my first full-bodied apparition experience. I was sitting in my vehicle loading my camera when a man walked out of the main gate. I was mildly upset thinking that someone had come to lock up the cemetery. He walked right across the small dirt road that my car was sitting on and vanished. He was a young man wearing a touring cap, a light-colored shirt, and dark pants. He looked to be from about the 1920s. Interestingly, you thought he was coming out to lock up the gate. Did you think he was just dressed in some older clothes because he was a <laughs> grave digger or something? I mean, we do know that Mort tends to wear some kind clothes. of tattered clothes. Yeah, yeah. They're definitely not from this era. He's wearing his play clothes, <laughs> as my mom would have made me wear when I was going out and doing something that I was going to get dirty. <laughs> it looks like we don't take care of the guy or ever give him anything, but he he doesn't like to have like new clothes and stuff. He's got some nice suits in his closet. I've seen them. Well, he won't wear them. I know. Well. And he's very attached to the old clothes, which is fine because I like vintage. As do I. And he always just says, I'm saving them for something good. I don't know. Maybe it's our funeral. (laughs) (laughs) Could be. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. 
With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. In Puerto Rico, we call ourselves Boricua. We are proud, passionate, and full of life. On our island, adventure finds you. Strangers aren't strangers for long. The size of the audience doesn't change the beauty of the music. And we celebrate every last ray of sun. Live Boricua. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. And next we have Green Mountain Cemetery, which is located on 35 acres in Montpelier, Vermont, that was initially bought by the town and lawyer Calvin Keith. They split the cost. The cemetery was established in 1854 and features terraced lots, sculptures, 2.5 miles of curved roads, and lots of vegetation. The chapel vault building was constructed in 1905 from a generous bequest of John E. Hubbard and can hold up to 60 entombments. The chapel is fairly small and can accommodate 60 people for funeral services. Montpelier's citizens donated a plot called the Soldier's Lot during the American Civil War for the burial of veterans, and it is maintained by the United States Department of Veterans Affairs. There are six Union veterans buried there. Many Medal of Honor recipients are here, as are Vermont politicians. But probably the most famous grave here is the one that provides our paranormal element. Johnny Hubbard has a creepy statue sitting atop his plot. His aunt, Fanny Hubbard Kellogg, had died in 1890, childless and a widow. Her estate was worth $300,000, and she planned to leave it to the city of Montpelier. She specifically was going to leave 55000 for the erection of a chapel and gates at Green Mountain, and the rest would go to building a library for the town. John had assumed that since he was the only living relative, that he would receive the estate. When he heard the will read, he decided to challenge it. And this would leave many townspeople thinking very poorly of him. And you can imagine, because she's donating all the money basically to the townspeople, and he's like, it's mine. A judge ruled the will invalid because the two witnesses to it said they didn't realize what they were signing. Now, I don't know if John paid them off or what, but probably you're you're signing a document (laughs) and going, I don't know what I'm witnessing, but okay. The city took it to the Supreme Court of Vermont, but Hubbard made a deal before the court ruled, and he gave Montpelier $30,000 for a new library. He eventually spent another 30000 on the library to ease the town's distrust of him. Hubbard died in 1899. Professor John W. Burgess wrote of the death, At midnight, the hurricane burst upon us. Great trees swayed and houses trembled. Torrential rain fell. The lightning was so incessant that it seemed no longer night but brilliant day. And the incessant roar of thunder was like the discharge of a thousand cannon. At daybreak it ceased. Word ran through the town that in the midst of the tornado, the spirit of Hubbard had departed. Two days later, a little funeral cortege, a hearse and two or three carriages, passed down the main avenue of the town to the beautiful Green Mountain Cemetery. And the tragedy of that life was ended. 
we're not sure what he died from. A lot of people say liver cancer. People said he got what was coming around and it was revenge on him for doing what he had done to take the money from the city. Atop Hubbard's grave is the Greek personification of death, Thanatos. This is a bronze sculpture of a man with his head thrown back and his body wrapped in a billowing shroud. The sculpture was designed by Carl Bitter. There's an inscription on the wall that frames the figure featuring lines from William Cullen Bryan's poem, Thanatopsis, Thoughts on Death. Thou go, not like the quarry slave at night, scourged to his dungeon, but sustained and soothed by an unfaltering trust. Approach thy grave like one who wraps the drapery of his couch about him and lies down to a pleasant dream. Nobody calls the figure on the grave Thanatos. This is Black Agnes to everybody. And there's a legend connected that mirrors the legend about Black Aggie that we shared way back on episode 24. Wow, that was a long time ago. It said that if you sit in its lap during a full moon, you will die within seven days and take seven friends with you. So nobody we know sit in the lap of this thing, okay? The original legend about Black Agnes goes back to English folklore about a boogeyman called Black Annis. And you know what Annis or Anise is? It's, it's, it's something black. that tastes disgusting. It's wonderful. Ugh. I hated it as a kid, but I love it now. Oh, God, I hate black licorice. licorice. I hate it. The name comes from an 18th century title deed for a parcel of land named Black Annie's Bower Close. Black Annis was said to be a blue-faced hag with iron claws and a taste for human flesh. Oh, God. A little bottle of Chianti to go with that? Yes, please. She would venture out at night specifically looking for children. She'd eat them and then tan their skins by hanging them on a tree and then eventually wear the skins around her waist. The tail, of course, was used to get kids to behave. I'd rather end up in Krampus's basket. <laughs> yeah, at least Krampus doesn't eat you. He just beats you. The thing not behaving here, though, is apparently Black Agnes. The statue's eyes are said to glow red and it makes creepy noises and sometimes lets out a blood-curdling scream. There's a decades-old story of three teenagers who sat on Black Agnes's lap during a full moon, trying to show one another how brave they were. When nothing happened, they laughed about it on the way home, sure that they'd put one over on old Black Agnes. One week later, one boy fell and shattered his leg. Another died in a tragic car crash. The third drowned. Pretty crazy story, but the ones connected to Black Aggie are the same. The legend of Black Aggie has reached the ranks of Bloody Mary. It is claimed that saying Black Aggie three times before a mirror in the bathroom at midnight brings the same results as those brought about by saying Bloody Mary three times. Black Aggie will appear behind you in the mirror and then stab you or take you out for a ride to hell. There have been no reports of Black Aggie being a part of supernatural activity since being removed from the cemetery. This may only be because many people were unaware of her new home, or no one who sees the statue realizes that she's part of an ongoing urban legend. And I think if I remember right from that Black Aggie episode, she's behind the Dolly Madison house in Washington, D.C. or something. Can't remember correctly, but she got moved. Black Agnes has not been moved and would be pretty hard to move because Black Aggie is its own little statue, whereas this one, I mean, it is its own statue, but it's got the wall behind it and it's a very elaborate memorial. It's very cool looking, actually. I, I think it'd be cool to go get pictures of it, but I'm not sitting in its lap. I don't tempt fate. <laughs> Kelly, our next cemetery, we actually have been to. We visited it on our honeymoon. Yes, indeed. And that would be the Key West Cemetery in Florida. 
The Key West Cemetery is located at the foot of Solaris Hill and covers 19 acres. This is quite a bit of ways from the historic downtown part of Key West, but everything is within walking distance in Key West, as we found, as we walked and we walked and, and we, we walked, walked and we over. walked, but it was fantastic. It was it so was. much fun. This unique cemetery is similar to the cemeteries of New Orleans. The water table makes it nearly impossible to bury people in the ground here. So most plots are above ground in chests, tombs, and mausoleums. There are around 100,000 people buried here, but no one's sure on the exact number because many in the old section are unmarked. This cemetery was established in 1847 after the first cemetery on the island, located in coastal sand dunes on Whitehead Point near the West Martello, was destroyed by a hurricane in 1846. Bodies kept washing out of it before that, so it was for the better anyway. Yeesh. It's kind of like God said, stop putting bodies there. It's not working. Blew it out. And this West Martello is opposite of the East Martello, where Robert the Doll is at. The land for the new cemetery was bought from L. Windsor Smith. There is a Catholic section in the northeast corner of the cemetery that was founded in 1861. There's also a section set aside for Cuban independence fighters from the Ten Years' War called A Los Martires de Cuba. The largest memorial in the cemetery is dedicated to the men who died aboard the USS Maine when it was blown up in 1898 in Havana Harbor. 260 sailors were killed and two dozen of them are buried in the Key West Cemetery. They are joined by a few other veterans from the Spanish-American War. This had a fence around it and one of those big obelisk. And I think there was even a statue of a soldier in there, too, or something. There was. And roosters and hens marching all over the place. Yes, there were lots and lots <laughs> of roosters hanging out. Wild chickens. And lots and lots of roosters and chickens wander the whole area down there. <laughs> It's interesting to be perusing a very peaceful cemetery and then literally just keep hearing roosters crowing behind you. And for those of you who've listened to our episode number 480, which featured the Hemingway House in Key West, we did mention the strange story of Carl von Kassel, who fell in love with Elena Hoyas and built her a mausoleum after she died. Well, that was here in the Key West Cemetery. So it was here that her mausoleum was and that he stole her body and kept it with him for all those years. And it was also where it got cracked and busted and eventually fell apart. So the mausoleum is no longer here. Some of the other interesting graves here include BP Pearl Roberts' final resting spot. She passed in 1979 and her tombstone reads, I told you I was sick. Clearly. And I've seen that on other tombstones yeah. as well. It's, it's kind of a cute little funny thing to add. Gloria M. Russell must have been a fun gal because her headstone reads, I'm just resting my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> the man who owned Sloppy Joe's, Joe Russell, was buried here when he passed in 1941. A man named Manuel Cabeza is buried here. And despite the fact that most people probably wouldn't think an island like Key West could have a racist lynching, it did. Cabeza was a World War I vet who had fallen in love with a woman that was of mixed race. When the Ku Klux Klan heard about this, they decided to teach him a lesson and they tarred and feathered him. Kelly, I remember them talking about back in the day that politicians would get tarred and feathered. I don't think it was until we watched, I believe it was Outlander, wasn't it? Where they showed them tarring and feathering some people that you realize it is hot tar, like what you put down on a road that you're putting on somebody's skin and then throwing right. feathers on top of it. So this Horrific. wasn't just a 
make them look stupid kind of thing. It would have been very, very painful. Cabeza wanted revenge, and so he shot and killed one of the men who had done this to him, and he was arrested. This took place on Christmas Eve of 1921 on Duval Street. A posse decided to take justice into their own hands, and they broke Cabeza out of jail and lynched him. As Kelly said, there are many, many roosters who run around the cemetery at all hours, and they're joined by a couple of spirits, which makes me wonder if dogs and cats can see them. Can roosters see ghosts? Perhaps. The most prominent ghost is said to belong to a woman who traveled to the island from the Bahamas. Staff members and guests have all claimed to see this Bahamian woman. She doesn't seem to be a nice ghost. Being seen seems to really piss her off, and she's become a protector of the cemetery. We know you guys don't sit on tombstones and are careful about walking on graves and such, but some people are not, and she gets very angry if she sees this going on. People who experience her rage claim they can feel this very threatening air about them. If they actually see her, she makes threatening gestures. I, what is she flipping them off? Or <laughs> Kelly just did the, I don't know, what do you call that? The two-arm salute? It's the F-U with the, the fist that goes into your elbow and you pull your other arm up. Yeah, yeah a lot of people add their little thumb against the inside of their mouth, too. There's an extra little. Thumb at yeah. the bottom of their teeth. <laughs> so maybe that's what she's doing. I'd love a picture of it. The spirit disappears when approached. Some psychics claim that she's angry because she's looking for someone that she can't find. The other ghost here belongs to a young girl. People claim to hear her calling out, and when they follow the voice, they don't find anyone. Many times, they end up at the grave of a young girl. I have to wonder, are they hearing a chicken making noises and following the chicken noise? Next, we have Mount Carmel Cemetery. Mount Carmel Cemetery is a large cemetery in the Chicago suburb of Hillside. Mount Carmel covers 214 acres with many notable burials, particularly victims and perpetrators of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Diane has visited this Roman Catholic cemetery just outside of Chicago and was quite surprised to stumble upon Al Capone's grave. We were just going and looking at different cemeteries because this is actually down where the murder castle for H.H. Holmes had been located. And so I was like, no, let's go look at the cemetery and stuff. And we're just walking around and I happen to look over and I'm like, does that say Capone on it? And I went and got a closer look and I'm like, that is Al Capone's grave. I had no idea he was here. So it was kind of cool. The cemetery was founded in 1901 and holds the burials of over 226,000 people, many of them Italians. And this is revealed in much of the Italian customs and imagery. Being that this is a Roman Catholic cemetery, many clergy are buried here. A large mausoleum houses the remains of bishops and archbishops of Chicago. The structure was designed by architect William J. Brinkman in the Romanesque style. And you can't miss it because it dominates a cemetery on a hill. The interior is beautiful, resembling a classic chapel with altar, murals, and clerestory windows, which let in lots of light to the central part of the mausoleum. Those are like little arched windows that are up taller, where they're not really meant for you to look outside of them, that you'll see sometimes in a church. Just to bring in light. Just bring in light. That's strictly what they're for. The cemetery had funeral train service for many years that started in 1926 and ended in 1934. That's pretty unique. You don't hear about a lot of cemeteries having a railroad in them. The number of notable burials here is outnumbered by gangsters. Oh my. For every baseball player and actor like Dennis Farina, loved him, and Cardinal or Bishop, there is a Sam Giancana, Antonio Lombardo, Sam Jenna, Mike the Devil Jenna, Machine Gun Jack McGurn, Frank Capone, and Al Capone. Capone was born in Brooklyn in 1899. 
Both of his parents had immigrated from Italy. Capone did well academically in school, but he hated the rules at his Catholic school. wonder how he feels about being buried in a Catholic cemetery. And can you believe they put that man in consecrated ground? He dropped out when he was 14 years old because he was facing expulsion for hitting a female teacher in the face. Oh my. Like bugs, Capone found trouble early. He joined several gangs in New York, finally working his way into the powerful Five Points gang in Lower Manhattan. Capone's trouble with women would continue, and while he was with this gang, he worked as a bouncer at a nightclub and insulted a woman there. Her brother took a knife to Capone's face, leaving him with a lifelong scar that led to his nickname Scarface. Capone got married when he was 19 and moved to Chicago at the age of 20 on Johnny Torrio's invite. There he would work as a bouncer to brothel where he would contract the syphilis that would eventually kill him. His grave says, My Jesus Mercy. Machine Gun McGurn and Capone both plotted the St. Valentine's Day Massacre that we covered way back on episode 28. On St. Valentine's Day in 1929, McGurn's crew that he had put together staged a police raid on Bugs Moran's Northside gang. The gang thought it was the real deal and they complied giving up their guns. There were seven of them and they were lined up against a wall and assassinated with 70 rounds of ammunition. It was the most horrific gang slaying in mob history. The victims were John May, Adam Hayer, Peter Gusenberg, and his brother Frank, Albert Weinshank, Reinhard Schwimmer, and Albert Kachalek. Both perpetrators of the massacre and victims are buried at Mount Carmel. The most famous burial in the cemetery, though, isn't a gangster or a mobster. It's the Italian Bride. The grave of Giulia Piccola Petta, who is known as the Italian Bride, well, that grave is pretty odd. It's not because of the grandiose statue erected over her grave that is a duplicate of her wedding photo or that she was buried in her wedding dress because she was considered a martyr for having died during childbirth. And it isn't because her child, who also died in childbirth, is buried with her. The odd thing here is that Julia's mother had her exhumed in 1927 after being buried for six years, and Julia's body was found in a state of non-decay. She looked lifelike, as though only sleeping. Her skin was still soft and supple. A picture was taken, and we agree that Julia looks like she was just buried. However, the baby is in a state of decay, as is the coffin. So it's not like the coffin protected her or whatever. Right. This indicates that there wasn't some kind of trick played by Julia's mother either. The mother had claimed to have dreams of her daughter for those six years, with Julia saying in those dreams that she was still alive and needed her mother's help. No one could explain what had happened here other than a really great embalming job and or corpse wax, which is formed during decomposition. Julia's mother not only raised money after the exhumation to build a memorial, but she also attached two pictures to the grave. One was the wedding photo and the other was the post-mortem picture after exhumation. And perhaps that's why Julia is at unrest. People report seeing the apparition of a young woman in a white wedding dress walking through the tombstones. The dress is usually glowing. The figure disappears. One little boy had an interaction with Julia's spirit. He got separated from his parents in the cemetery, and when they finally found him, he was holding the hand of a woman in white. She disappeared as the parents approached. Goodness. So at least she's a kind ghost. Sounds like it. But yeah, she was actually deemed a saint, too, because she had not decayed, which is what like popes and stuff like that do in the Catholic faith sometimes. So very weird. We'll never know why some spirits decide to creep among the final resting places of people. Maybe they like the peace and quiet as much as many of us. Maybe the graveyard scene from Dizzy's Haunted Mansion is really playing out in these cemeteries and we just can't see all the cavorting. 
It would be kind of fun if we could. Now I've got the music playing through my head. (laughs) Whatever the reason, it does seem that some cemeteries are haunted. Are these cemeteries haunted? That is for you to decide. More to add to our list. Of course, a couple of these, one of them we've both been to and one I've been to. Oh, just love our cemeteries. I certainly do as well. We'll have another one coming because I still have some more. Every time I'm researching these, I always stumble across some more of those. We'd love to have you guys stumble across our website at historygoesbump.com. <laughs> Queen of the segues. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com or leave comments in the Spooktacular crew on Facebook or over on Instagram or wherever. Tim, who just joined us in the crew, had left a comment over on the website that he and his ex had stayed at the Stanley Hotel and had some experiences. And I was like, oh, we'd love to hear them. So he shared this. So my ex David and I stayed the night at the Stanley Hotel a couple of years ago. I believe we were in room 214. We went to bed with the window in our room open to get the fresh mountain air. Woke up in the morning and the window had been closed. Somebody was chilly, apparently. (laughs) Was one of you sleepwalking and closed it or what happened? I had a scratch on my arm that had drawn blood. And in an empty flower garden, we smelled roses. We went into the hotel to ask about that and we're told that when you smell roses and there are no roses around... That's Flora Stanley letting you know she's there and likes you. Aw. I thought that was really cool. So you guys got to meet Flora and you didn't even know it. We want to thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by our executive producers. Join me in the cemetery by becoming an executive producer. You can join on Patreon or PayPal. Check out the Support the Show tab on the website for more information. more than 2,000 gallons of ice cream and turned out 10,000... 000... <laughs> That's a lot of ice cream. <laughs> 10,000 gallons? Every seven minutes. Damn. Were you about to say that they turned out how much ice cream? Turned out 10,000 gallons every seven minutes. <laughs> that would be like heaven to me. That's like ice cream heaven. And turned out 10 gallons every seven minutes. Talk about a morale booster. I know Diane would like it. And boost my morale. Ice cream always boosts me. It lifts you right off the couch later, too. <laughs> okay, so I am a little lactose intolerant. <laughs> so nobody we know sit in the lap of this thing, okay? No lap dances with the black egg. <laughs> <laughs> you do any lap dances? I'm dance? going to hell. <laughs> you are. <laughs> You're going to be one of those seven friends for sure. <laughs> Uh, somebody needs to put a sign out in front of this thing. No lap dances, please. Oh, no. <laughs> Black Aggie will appear behind you in the mirror and then stab you or take you out for a ride to hell. On a motorcycle? On horseback?
in a bicycle basket? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Piggyback? <laughs> hey, Kelly, we just talked about the happy birthday song in the history segment. And remember how we came up with that little ditty about the death boat to the tune of the love boat? I do. That was a lot of fun. Well, we worked up another little something here. Oh, that's right. Shall we share it with everyone? Especially because we're talking about cemeteries on this episode? I think we should. We're off to see the digger, the wonderful digger of graves. We hear he is a fan of the grim, if ever a fan there was. We'll bring him this work, it's surely a perk to have this chap that works for us. Because, 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 because of the beautiful work he does. We're off to see the digger, the wonderful digger of graves. This is your moment. Your moment to move forward and make progress. It's time to see where an education can take you. For over 130 years, Strayer University has been at the forefront of change, offering programs that help students like you get ahead and stay ahead so you can keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEF. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.